Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Radio Omniglot podcast. My name is Simon Ager, and in this episode I want to talk about the way languages are used and not used in fiction. That's in books and films and TV programs and computer games and so on. So I was inspired to talk about this topic by a web series I'm currently reading. I listened to the first installment, the first volume, as an audiobook that I found on Audible, and I've been reading the rest online. It's called The Wandering Inn, and if you haven't heard of it, I'd recommend it if you like a bit of um, alternative world fantasy adventure type stuff. The main character is a young American woman called Erin Solstice, who one night on the way to the bathroom suddenly finds herself in a different world, inside a cave where there's a fire-breathing dragon. She runs away from that, and then goblins attack her, and she runs away from them, and finds herself in an old abandoned inn, and becomes an innkeeper. And it's all about her story, and how she survives in this world. Now this world is um, a bit like a a video game, because people can acquire skills, and levels, and classes, and by working in her inn, by cleaning it up, and opening it to the public... Erin levels up and gains skills as an innkeeper and various other skills. So that's the basic idea of what the story's about. But the interesting thing about it is, in this world, which has a number of different continents and lots of different people and other sentient species, everybody speaks the common tongue, which is suspiciously like English. Apart from the goblins, who are not considered real people and they have their own language, but some of them do learn to speak the common tongue as well, for convenience sake. So it's unusual for a whole world to have one single language, and there's no mention of different dialects or different variations in the different parts of this world. So I think it's really for the convenience of the author, so she doesn't have to think, or I don't know if it's a male or female author, or the only known as Pirate Abba, which is obviously a pseudonym. I think of the author as a female, but could be male. So let's, let's say she's female. So the author is writing this series, still writing it, and um, for convenience, all the characters can understand each other. You don't have to worry about made-up languages. Well, so actually, later on you find that other people have come from our world into this fictional world, and some of them come from other countries, like Japan or Germany or um, South Africa, and they speak different languages. But they also speak English, of course, well, most of them do. Otherwise, that would make the story more awkward and difficult. So in this this case, the author has chosen to for all her characters to speak the same language, unless, in the case of the goblins, it's part of the story that they don't speak the same language. In other books, where people find themselves in different countries or different places where different languages are spoken, the authors can indicate this, some authors indicate this, by using different typefaces, different fonts. So they're writing in the, the language of the book. Uh, the ones I read are mostly in English, but occasionally I read books in other languages. And one author who does this is uh, Jasper Ford, who's written in various series. And in one of these, his characters live in a kind of alternative version of our world. It's more or less the same, but with some differences. And some of them are able to get inside fiction. When they read a book, it's so vivid in their imagination that they find themselves actually inside the story. And within the fictional world, people don't speak different languages. They speak in different typefaces. 
like Courier Bold or Helvetica, where the languages they speak are named after the typefaces. So it's quite clever. And in Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels, the characters sometimes find themselves in different countries where different languages are spoken, and sometimes little snatches of those languages are used, based loosely on real languages from our world, although with different fictional names. So they might start off speaking in Quermian, for example, which is the Discworld equivalent of French. But then in the um, written text, what they're saying is, is written in English, even though it's indicated that they're actually speaking in Quermian. And then in other cases, it's indicated that characters are speaking in foreign tongues by using different typefaces. For example, in the country of Klatch, where characters speak Klatchian, which is the equivalent of Arabic, they, when they speak that language, a um, kind of flowing font that looks vaguely like Arabic script is used. Some of the species in the Discworld also have their own native languages. The dwarves have one, the trolls have one, and various other species have them. And you get little snippets of these languages within the text, but I don't think Terry Pratchett ever fully developed these languages. He just made up little sentences and words to incorporate in the story, but didn't really develop them in any detailed way, as far as I know. And then... In other works of fiction, the author actually uses other languages. For example, in the Welsh language novels I've read, and some of the Irish ones, some of the characters don't speak that language. And as all Welsh speakers pretty much also then um, speak English, the author can just switch to English for some characters. That's not a problem. Same with Irish and other minority languages. So that's another way you can do it. Or you can just say within the narrative, within the story, that the character is speaking in a different language. Or you can use some kind of typographical convention, like different fonts or um, italics or bold or whatever you want, different colours even, to show someone speaking a different language. And then there are books and films and TV programmes and computer games that feature actual made-up languages. The most famous of these, I would say, are the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and quite a few other books. Now, he had studied many different languages, ancient and modern languages, and he created languages, some based on existing languages. For example, his Quenya Elven language is based loosely on Finnish, with other bits of other languages thrown in for good measure, like I think Latin and Greek, and then his Sindarin, the other Elvish language he created, is based loosely on Welsh. And he created these languages first, and then he created Middle-earth and all the stories about it as a place to actually use them. So he not only created languages, he also created scripts for them, alphabets like Tengwa and runic scripts for the dwarves and the orcs to use. And he also created this whole world and the backstory, not just the languages people speak within the stories and the films, but also their ancestors. He created families of languages. Now, some he just mentions. He doesn't actually create in great detail. He says, you know, this language, Quenya or whatever, developed from this old elven language and so on going back. And I think in some books there's a lot of history of Middle-earth and how things came to be as they are. So, yeah, to create a whole language is quite a an achievement, I would say. 
but within the stories, I mean, most of it's in English. There's only parts of it in other languages and script, and it's the same in the films as well. And it's subtitled there. That's an advantage you have with films and TV programs. Is if characters are speaking in in foreign tongues, whether they're real or or made up, constructed languages, you can have subtitles. Or another way people get around showing what that characters are actually speaking a different language, even if they're not. If that makes any sense. In films and TV programs, particularly, you'll have people speaking in different accents. So, if it, for example. If a film is set in Italy, it may be in English, but some of the characters may speak with Italian accents. Or if it's set in France, they'll speak with French accents. So it gives you the idea that they're actually speaking in French or another language, but you can understand what they're saying. Although in some films, like what's it, The Death of Stalin, it's all in English, and the characters speak English with various different kinds of accents. Some are Americans, some are British, I think maybe some Australians. And it's quite funny. Because, you know, if it's based on people who would be speaking Russian to each other, to hear them speaking in different um, national and regional accents of English is rather bizarre in some ways. Because as as far as I understand it, there are not great variations in the way people speak Russian throughout Russia and the former Soviet Union. Well, there's some some minor regional variations, certainly, but nothing like as much as English has. Now let me take you back to 1979, when James Doohan, who plays Scotty in the original Star Trek series, made up some Klingon phrases for use in in the film Star Trek The Motion Picture. And then in 1984, when the film Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, was being made, the director, Leonard Nimoy, and the writer-producer, Harvey Bennett, decided that they wanted the Klingons to speak a a real-sounding language rather than just a couple of phrases. So they went and found a a linguist called Mark Ockrand and commissioned him to create the Klingon language, which he did, and it was further developed for other films. And since then, various people have learnt it. There's a, a few hundred people who have some knowledge of the language, and a handful who actually speak it fluently. I know a couple of them. And people have created a dictionary, courses, have translated various works into Klingon, including Shakespeare's plays, such as Hamlet and Much Ado About Nothing, also the Epic of Gilgamesh, and there's a journal published by the Klingon Language Institute in Klingon, and various Klingon-related meetups and events. So Klingon has gone beyond the films and TV series and sort of become a real-world language in some ways. And one linguist tried to raise his son speaking Klingon, and it went all right for a few years, but eventually the son realised that no one else apart from his dad spoke the language and decided he didn't want to speak it anymore, but apparently he acquired an excellent pronunciation. And um, as well as Klingon... Other languages have been created for films and TV shows. And one person who's done quite a bit of this is David J. Peterson, who was commissioned to create languages for the series Game of Thrones, specifically Dothraki and High Valerian. For the purposes of the series, the actors just needed lines in the language, but he said when I saw him giving a talk about this back in uh, a few years ago in the, at the Polygon Conference in New York, David, David Peterson said that he didn't just create a few you know, random words put them together for the actors to use. He actually created a whole grammar and vocabulary and backstory for this language. He thought about the people who were speaking it and what kind of vocabulary they would use and how it should sound. And you can now get courses in Dosraki and possibly Hyzerian as well. So if you have created languages, or you would like to, 
One way you can use them is within fiction. If you write stories or make films or videos or whatever, you can actually use the languages you've created. Maybe even create whole worlds in which they can be used, like Tolkien did. And that's a huge project. And actually, the process of creating languages and creating worlds in which to use them is actually is a good way to learn about the world and learn how languages work. Because if you have to think about every aspect of the world and the, how the languages are used and what kind of people spoke them and what kind of vocabulary they had and how they communicated, did they use writing? If they had, what kind of writing did they use? What kind of materials did they use? They send messages to each other. These are all part of the, the world you've created. I think it's time for a bit of music now. This is, this is a tune I wrote a few years ago called Wet Sock. I wrote it on the harp, and this recording um, features me playing it on the harp and various other instruments. I wrote it after a walk on a particularly rainy day, when I found that my shoes were leaking, so I had wet socks, and that's where the name comes from. So here we are, wet socks. speaking in different regional accents and dialects 
and these, this can be indicated by using non-standard spelling. No such accents and dialects may not have a standard written form. They may rarely be written at all, in fact. So each author will come up with their own way of doing so. You can find examples of this in the works of authors such as Charles Dickens, who is his Cockney dialect in some of his works, and um, Emily Bronte, who in Wuthering Heights, for example, uses Yorkshire dialect, and Winston Groom writes his novels about Forrest Gump entirely in Alabama dialect, I think, and Mark Twain uses various dialects in his stories. So these give a really interesting flavour to the, the story, as you read it, you can kind of hear the characters if you happen to be familiar with these different dialects. And I like to um, try and read these these bits aloud and try and imagine how these characters would sound and, if possible, listen to audiobooks to see how the narrator would um, handle these different dialects. I've also seen um, examples of different regional accents and dialects used in Welsh and Irish and in some of the Welsh novels I've read, some of the characters make fun of each other for the way they speak, particularly differences between northern varieties of Welsh and southern varieties of Welsh are highlighted, because there are quite a lot of differences between them. I think that will do for now. There's plenty more I could probably say about languages and fiction, but I think that will do for today. So, I hope you found this interesting and informative. Do tell your friends about this podcast. If you have any comments or questions on this or any other episode of this podcast, you can go to omniglot.com slash radio and you can find notes on all the episodes. You can find the recordings. You can find links to further information and you can leave suggestions for future episodes. And if you're feeling very generous, you could even give a little donation or even a large one. And recently I set up an account on Patreon, which you can find at omnilot.com slash Patreon. If you would like to support my work by giving a regular monthly donation, if I actually get any supporters there, I will start creating extra content for them. I, I will try to anyway. I've been thinking about making extra little short episodes of this podcast, maybe five or ten minutes long, with a, maybe a kind of humorous comedic slant to them. If you want to contact me, you can do so at feedback at omniglot.com. My name is Simon Ager. I am the sole person behind this podcast. I don't have a team of researchers and producers and editors. It's all me. So each episode does take a while to produce, usually a couple of days. And um, I tend to put it off a bit sometimes. So it's a while since I made my last episode. And I've been trying to do two a month, but this is the first I've done in January. Today is the 27th of January, 2020. I started recording this yesterday on the 26th. I'm not sure when I'll make the next episode, or what it will be about. But anyway, I hope you found this episode interesting and informative. And um, thank you for listening, and goodbye.